so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 78 of the Running Rugby podcast and it's a bit of a The last sad... ever episode. Well, it may be that way. It may be the last ever podcast that any of us do. It may be the last um, round of rugby we see um, before the collapse of international um, civilization and all, all sporting codes, don't you think? Hopefully not. <laughs> it'll, um, it'll, it'll prevent the Waratahs plummeting any further though, so that's a positive. Yeah, I think they're the only team that's probably over the moon that this season been suspended. No more fifty-point losses. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking that we were going to be opening this show talking about how they were going to start playing these games with no crowds, and I was gonna I was thinking up jokes to make the fact that Australia's been implementing this for quite a few years of not having their crowds at Super Rugby fixtures, but <laughs> it's it's not as funny now when they've just called for a halt for the whole season for. I mean, for the foreseeable future. That's right. Coronavirus has finally struck. We've seen it around the world. We've seen it stop the NBA and the NHL in America. We've seen it stop uh, the soccer in England and all the Six Nations and now the Super Rugby as well. It's all it's all ending. And there's no word on when it's going to start back up again. You'd hope that they can piece together some of the derby games. Like As long as the, the codes are, are still actually playing albeit in, in empty stadiums. If the players are all healthy, if the squads haven't uh, been infected at all, maybe we'll see a few more derby games. Maybe they can nudge the schedule around a bit. But it, it sort of feels like they've, they've done this um, self-isolation policy for anyone entering New Zealand or Australia from anywhere, which has just com- put a complete halt on any of the travel plans for any team uh, internationally. So... It's derbies or nothing, really. And I was thinking whether they should be looking at different finals formats in terms of how you choose those teams, whether they should go to picking, if they were just doing derbies, picking the top two teams from each conference and then two wild cards to actually get it a little bit fairer if they're playing within their conferences because obviously that's going to really shift the landscape of which teams are doing well. For example, the Brumbies might just go undefeated. Um and so you you might just end up that the Brumbies would go from, from the Australian conference to no one else. So I, do, I wonder whether they need to look at that as well. But it's a bit unclear at this stage. I mean, it could be back on in a few weeks, but at the moment it's not looking very positive. Yeah, well, it looks like it's going to be at least um, another two weeks before they even look at re-evaluating this and look at even having any derby games set up. And it'll take a bit of time to get those set up. I mean, you're being optimistic, Tobes, that we do get a final series at all in this. I mean, I'd love to say it's happened, but I think the odds are at the moment it's looking like potentially we're not going to have any more Super Rugby in 2020. Which doesn't give us a lot to talk about. It'll be a very, very long and grueling Wallabies preseason, and and no prospect of a game for them um, come. Was it July? Is that the next? Is that the internationals were were due to start late July? 
Yeah, so start start of July. July fourth is when the internationals should be kicking off. Um, the first Australia Wallabies game versus hosting Ireland up at Suncorp. Doesn't it make it interesting with Rennie coming in how he's going to go about that and whether it just everything shifts towards the Wallabies? Well, it makes it really hard, I guess, to evaluate anything. And I mean, I'm sure there will be some further sort of trials and some further sort of derby games booked up at some point. Um, look, if the finals were good to go ahead, I'd love to see even just like the top team from each conference play a home and away game or something in a bit of a round robin against them um, and just see who ends up with the most points. And you can do the same thing with like the second and third sort of people in mm. each conference. But again, that's that's presuming that travel bans are going to be implemented. And at the moment, safety comes first. And obviously, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa uh, implementing bans. The Highlanders didn't get to play in South America, aren't going to make it or haven't made it back to New Zealand. They've going to go into two weeks of self-isolation. The Bulls are the same getting back to South Africa. They're heading into two weeks of self-isolation. Yeah, it's all happening. I wonder if the if the wallabies or like whether there's some sort of um, just you know keep the keep the wheels turning keep something happening whether the clubs or or maybe the wallabies uh, officials coaches would would visit each team and and try and kind of get it, get a feel for the style of rugby they're playing and collaborate a bit more like you've got this massive amount of downtime where the players are still going to be presumably as long as they're all healthy. Um, training to maintain fitness, maintain mm. skills. You know they can they can you can go through new strategies and different plans, but you know you have no opportunity to really test those unless you're playing. So you you, you can't just go and invent a whole new um, way of playing for your team uh, week to week. So wonder whether the the Wallabies guys will get involved with the clubs and kind of go in get a feel for what they're trying to do. Maybe collaborate a bit and and try and find some some areas of alignment between the inter- the national team and the and the super rugby teams maybe they can f- get them focused on a few things that the wallabies would benefit from should they get some game time they could really pick for like 23 man squads and just pit them up against each other from all the different conferences so you get the you know 100 best players in mm. australia and you just push, push all your efforts towards the Wallabies. Dave Rennie comes back as soon as he can. Otherwise, maybe you've got his assistants managing that process. And you've just got three months of just gelling um, that squad together and, and coming up with, what, a 30, 35-man squad at the end of it. Because um, I think that's these guys have to be playing in some capacity. They can't be sitting around for months and they, in the gym, like it doesn't work. They won't want to be doing that as well. You heard from Mikella how keen the Brumbies were to keep playing, um, even even though the Tars obviously have had a season to forget. These guys won't want to be sitting around and doing nothing. They'll they'll want to be getting out on the field and um, and getting staying active and staying um, hopeful for chances um, to represent Australia later in the year. Particularly, I mean, particularly with the Waratahs because how poor they've been across the season, it does put some guys at risk for not getting selection that would normally be there. Obviously, a team like the Brumbies and the Reds even, I think at the moment, you're going to see a lot of Wallabies guys come out of that. A lot of the young guys have done well. Um, But the Tars, look, I mean, they might only have half a dozen guys that actually get pulled into that Wallabies squad based on current form. 
and we will talk a bit more about that game because that is our deep dive for the week, the Brumbies versus the Tars, the last game of round seven and potentially the season at the moment. Um, we'll run quickly through the other scores in round seven. So Friday night was a little bit surprising. 24 to 27, the Hurricanes get up over the Chiefs thanks to a last second penalty goal via um, Geordie Barrett's boot. Um, he had an excellent game out there for the Canes who bounced back. Um, the Blues, they chalk up their first home win of the season, uh, 43 to 10 over the Lions, and it was a dominant display by the Blues there. And there's been multiple <laughs> memes floating around that as soon as the Blues start doing well, the whole season gets cancelled um, because that's just a coming sign of uh, the apocalypse or something, isn't it? Um, next, we saw the Crusaders and really fielding a uh, team that was missing a lot of notable names as we thought, but despite a bit of sort of tussle early, it was sort of 14-7, 7-all with the Sunwolves. They they turned it on towards the end of the game there, 49-14, to um, despite a couple of cards. I actually didn't realise going into this game until just the afternoon before that David Havili had gone in for surgery. Did you catch much of that, Arch? Oh, had he? I completely missed that. Yeah, he had like a like a last minute surgery. I I didn't get much detail it was, on it, but I think it was some sort of bowel issue or blockage or something, and so he had he had yeah pretty much emergency surgery, and he's on the men now. But yeah, he'll be out for a few months, I think, based yeah. on what I've seen. So that's a that's a decent sized piece of the the Crusaders backline, um, at least impacted there. That that was one who I expected to play because we had been talking about how the Crusaders have been rotating people in and out, and we expected yeah. a, a mid-strength team for this Sunwolves matchup, but sharing the load around so previous week guys hadn't played. And then Havili had been sitting on the bench last week. I remember sitting, seeing him in his suit, and then all of a sudden he was hospitalised. So anyway, mm. hopefully he's feeling better. Hopefully that's all gone well, and he's managed to get out of the, get out of the hospital before he picks up anything else. Yeah, 100%. Um... Yeah, all the best to him because he was definitely pushing for a black jersey later in the year with that um, form. But at least he he won't miss many games at the moment, so he's got a bit of time to recover. There was another name I wanted to bring up in that Crusaders team, a familiar name that we've seen at the Tars before who had a fairly notable debut for the Crusaders, um, albeit a bit of a short one. Five-minute special from... uh... Oh, I think he From got the... to six. I think he got to six, but the old... Uh, the, the 66th. The old cockroach himself, Hugh Roach, um, the man commonly uh, mistaken for Michael Hooper in days past at the Waratahs. Um, he'd get the ball and he'd be like, oh, Hooper's away here, and then he'd be moving at about a metre a second, and you'd be like, well, that doesn't look right, and you realise it's it's Hugh Roach down there, but he's moved over the ditch, He's he's joined the enemy with the Crusaders, and... Look, maybe it was a ploy by Australian Rugby to try and depower the Crusaders and cost them a win here, but he went on and immediately threw an elbow and got himself red-carded for the game. And another one which in the past I think they would have maybe penalised and, you know, very, very small chance of, say, a yellow just for, you know, guys basically it's a push and shove, but... When you when you start sort of swinging elbows and, and collecting guys' heads now, there's absolutely no room for that. They were very clear. Yeah, absolutely. It was not much else that they could really do in that. Um, other games we had the Sharks taking down the Stormers in Durban and Sharks moving up to the top of the table in 
um, the whole Super Rugby Conference. So if it is the end of the season, one could argue that maybe they are declared the the winners, though at only a third of the way through the season. I don't know if you can really say that, but um, the Storm is just falling off a little bit here and the Sharks just looking particularly strong, especially late in this game. It's just a all-star lineup, especially in the backs for the Sharks. And the Stormers were missing a few. I don't know what the go was with Sia Khaleesi and Peter Steftatoy, but uh, as soon as I saw that team sheet, I, I did renege my commitment to tip the Stormers in this game, Arch. I, I jumped ship to the Sharks and actually got the closest tip of the group that week. So Subtle brag. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you said it last week. You, you said, oh, I don't feel right about this tipping in line with Leo and a South African derby, and Turns out you were dead on that what we said initially was a terrible choice. Do you agree with the idea that if the, there is no more of the season, do, do Sharks take the crown? Or is this just a is 2020 an asterisk season with no no super rugby champion? No, they don't get it. You can't. You, I don't think you can do it based on, what, seven rounds? Not there's 18 rounds of competition. Of yeah, I mean, it's, there's that. And also, it's just it's not even... We're not even three quarters of the way through the season. It's not even something where you could say, well, there's a clear winner. The Brumbies have played arguably as well as the Sharks. Obviously, the Crusaders are very strong. Um, any of those top six probably in some ways deserve some sort of accolade. But, um, yeah, that's why I just think whether they condense the season or, I don't know, just amend some sort of finals series, I don't know. It's just it's They've got to do something, I think. They can't just award any sort of competition winner at this stage um sharks have done well there's no question but yeah they've got to do a little more to to deserve that title i think yeah i'd probably have to agree i think it's it comes down to a asterisk season if if anything at all um but sharks would definitely be hoping that it gets put back on because they'd be loving their chances after a strong tour and then showing how strong they are at home in durban as well um Let's get into our deep dive, and that was Sunday after... You didn't mention the Reds. Did I? <clears throat> oh, I did. I skipped the Reds. So <clears throat> the Reds we Huge should definitely, definitely uh, mention as well, because, yeah, that was absolutely astounding. Um, there's an amazing history between these two teams that the home teams just always wins um, for many years, and the Bulls have never won at Suncorp, but they, they gave it a red-hot chance early in this game, having... Uh, scored 17 points in the first 20 minutes, up 17-0, and they had a man in the bin with Chris Fowai-Sotia getting sent off for the Reds around that same time. But then the Reds just came storming back in some really enterprising play, um, some amazing offloads through the forwards, and a really strong showing to to finish this off, despite a few um, worries and a few potentially injuries um, that could affect them if the season were to go on, but Reds took this one 41-17. to 17. Yeah, they absolutely blew them out in the end. That's 41 unanswered after going down, after being down 17-0 early in the first half. It was going at a point a minute for the Bulls at one stage, and it just, like, I think it just shows that style where they didn't really, they didn't really panic too much. Even for young guys, they stayed really um, focused on the game, and they didn't, stop playing their style they've they've definitely gone down that what I, what I think is a uh to a degree a crusaders or even maybe oh, maybe a chiefs line where you really you just keep throwing the passes you trust that 
enough will stick that you will score the points. And as you said, Archer, that that try that Isaac Lucas scored under the posts came off the back of about eight offloads, mm. a phase with four offloads down the line, and then quick quick ball recycled into the center and just support man after support man after support man rocked up. And and you could see in the replays when they were looking back from the across the try line back into the faces of the Reds runners. And all these guys are lining up behind and they're talking to each other well before the guy they're hoping gets the ball gets it so that they're, they're aware that they've got a guy in support. So it's, it's again, good communication, great effort to support and, you know, le- legs out of all the forwards and the backs, really. Like, it wasn't just a big backline uh, line break and, and chase. It was everyone involved. So um, that's that's a really good style. I think the Reds are developing and I, I love watching it and happy to wait out uh, these tough matches when it doesn't come on early. At least they stick it out for 80 and it comes eventually. You definitely have to admire their processes and their commitment to the game. I think Brad Thorne's really instilled that. Um, just never never kind of dropped their attitude. They've always got a bit of positivity there. I just It does remind me a bit of the Brumbies, how they stick to a process, um, follow it through, and, yeah, just always back one another um, for that offload. So... Waratahs are trying to do that as well, but it's not quite working for them. Um, the Reds have come a long way this year, and I think the thing is they've been in nearly every game that they've played, and I think they deserve to probably have more wins than they do at the moment. This, this is the first game they weren't leading at the half. Mm. Yeah. And it's so, like it's just a sign of like good mental strength. Like That's what Brad Thorne has instilled in the guys. They're young, they're full of belief, they don't give up. And each time they succeed in one of these matches, it just compounds that and it builds the mental strength. Whereas I worry that the Waratahs uh, aren't, while they're unsuccessful, for years they've had these results that have just chipped away at that at the core of the team. And guys like Maddox, instead of being able to bring a guy like Maddox into the team and turn it around and and start winning some games and rebuilding that, I feel like the, the losses... Uh, where, you know, again, a star player, potential star player like that puts everything in and takes it upon themselves to to try and make something happen. When it doesn't then happen, it chips away at it further and it's almost more significant because even that guy can't succeed. So real, real slide for the Waratahs. But, but you know, they've just got to stick with it. They, they shouldn't stop playing their style. They should just, it's what we wanted out of uh, Will Harrison, just to keep, keep throwing the passes, believe, keep getting the opportunities and that stuff will eventually turn. You just might go through a very long lean patch to get there you can tell we just always want to talk about the tars can't you we start off in the reds and then suddenly we're talking about the disparity with the waratahs and the no hopeness and the loss of hope within that club um i was just going to mention before we move on the reds obviously some worrying injuries unfortunately um harry wilson looks like a potential um knee injury they were talking about potentially an mcl no. strain um which no. is Pretty devastating for the, the guy who, despite having a few buttery fingers in this game, was still putting in um, a huge amount of work. So many carries in this and some great meters. And as you've already said, involved in lots of offloads. As well as James O'Connor, um, there was some concern over him uh, for a little bit of that match as well. Though I haven't heard anything more um, concrete about whether um, he would be out if, if the season were to continue. So let's get into our deep dive and so these boys can actually talk about the Tars like we know they want to. So the Waratahs travelled down to GIO Stadium on Sunday afternoon. 
Uh, the Brumbies, obviously the hot favourites, and despite the Waratahs standing up early, Rob Simmons coming out for um, his... No, it was Curly's it Curly's 140th and Carmichael's 50th. No, I think it was Curly's 148. Carmichael's 50th as well. Yeah, Carmichael's 50th, yeah. Well, you can just... Curly basically equaled Ben Robinson's record for the most games by a Waratahs player. Exactly. So, despite the fact that, yeah, KB was celebrating that fact and Carmichael was celebrating 50, um, the captain got them started early with Rob Simmons crossing early, um, using those long levers, getting his arm out and scoring a bit of more of a dynamic try than what we're used to um, for the big man. But... It all sort of went a bit downhill after that sort of first 20 minutes. The Waratahs were just conceding penalty after a penalty um, and the Brumbies taking advantage, multiple tries, and 47-14, to 14, the Brumbies take the bonus point, even with a couple of late ones there, um, to really seal the victory. So, starting with the Brumbies. What are your takeaways? We had a slightly different front row than what we used to. Slipper starting in this one. You had... Um, McInerney starting at two, who I have to say was everywhere. involved, yeah, at every single turn, took multiple, multiple carries, um, 12 for the game. He wasn't making a huge amount of metres, but just put his hand up for more and more work, no matter what was going on. He just always seemed to have the ball in, like, those little link passes. Mm. Um, so really involved in the game after ta- taking a bit of stick from um, Tom Staniforth during the week as well, pretty Pretty poor chat by them, but Connor was there, short and fat, doing his thing. Um, I, I was impressed by him. I think I'm always a bit worried when Falau firing is out, but overall he seemed across the park to be playing well. Slipper you can always trust in as well. Um, and it was a bit of a shame to see Alan and Alatoa go down, um, which looks like a pretty severe arm injury there. So we're going to have him out of the game for a few months. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's a case, again, where the Brumbies are just gelling so well as a unit and they're playing really strongly and, and they don't need uh, every single guy to stand up and be a superstar. It's just being that linking player, throwing a simple pass, keeping keeping the ball moving forward, being direct, um, you know, putting your hand up for a, a share of the work. It's it's just the good balance they've got between all those forwards. At the moment, they're all putting in. They're not, like very few of them are... I think um, Pete Samu was standing out stealing the ball off people, in, you know, in the tackle. Um, Will Miller was being a pest, yeah. but for the most part, they're all they're all just doing their work. It wasn't it wasn't a there wasn't a standout. I didn't think among the forwards, so that's a good sign that they're all just getting getting in the dirty stuff and and not trying to overplay a hand, not trying to overdo it. I'm kind of on this Caden um, Neville bandwagon now, Arch. I think. Um... He's starting to impress me quite a lot. Um, he looked good. Best hey, I've seen him play this season. Up. Yeah. What I did want to actually in the mall. What I did want to bring yeah, up though, um, I was listening to while I was editing our podcast last week. Leo, can you say that player's first name? Who? The Mister K- Neville. Kate and Neville. Because I was pretty sure I was hearing Caterin or Caterin. Caden. Caden. It's Caden Neville. Neville. I know it's spelt weird with an R, but you don't need to call him Caterin. No, it's Caden. <laughs> Whatever, mate. I was listening to the I was listening to the pod, but absolutely, I think I think the performance really stood up. Um, obviously, got the try, and he got a couple of turnovers as well. It, it was strong in the mall, and he was getting down um, low, which is what I always like to see. Um, 
especially because that's what a lot of the All Blacks and New Zealand second rowers are able to do. They're able to be a menace at the ruck as well. Yeah, he, he dropped his uh, high tackle count this week, which which helps. Um, it's it's just one of those things. Those those tall guys like they have a big impact, but if they can't get their body height down running the ball and they and they give away the odd penalty like that, it just it just kind of paints them as the the stereotypical big goofy guy who just can't quite um, you know be slick enough in defence to put all his 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 weight and his range and reach to to good effect. Mm. So yeah, look, I, I've got absolutely nothing against Caden Neville. Um, I would I would happily see more tall timber playing well. I just it just it seemed like he had a bit of a habit of um, of the high tackling like later in the game, getting a bit tired, getting a bit lazy, and mm. uh, I just I you know I'd rather a guy um, you know only only get half the contact, but make sure he doesn't give away the penalty, and, and hope that the rest of the team's there to, to support than getting too loose. I was watching this game as well, and I realised we hadn't really discussed. Joe Powell as a potential Wallabies sort of nine. We sort of just stayed with the Tate McDermott, who didn't even start for the Reds in favour of Malua, um, who had a good game as well, and Nick White coming in. Um, do you think Joe Powell is the third nine they're going to bring up? And is there any chance that he could um, scrape into a match day 23, either starting on the bench? I kind of like Ryan Lonigan, to be honest, when he comes on. But Joe Powell's playing well. Um, probably, yeah, still third in line. You would have thought Jake Gordon would be taking one of those spots, but really hasn't proven himself this year. Uh, kind of odd one for me that McDermott is on the bench at the moment. Maybe he's carrying a niggle or something, but I, I don't think he's necessarily outplayed by... Um, what's his name? Malua. Malua. Samoan uh, International. Yeah, it seems, seems odd. Um, obviously, we've talked about Lawrence. I don't think Powell's out of the conversation... Um, he's now, you know, a relatively experienced player as well. Again, we, we probably need to consider Nick White and that's kind of the wild card. If Nick White's out of the picture, I think Joe Powell might even have a shot at getting the, you know, second in line perhaps, but it really does depend on Nick White's availability. We didn't uh, release our full 23 we, when we did our two early Wallabies squads. We, we sort of shared that amongst ourselves, didn't put the bench out there. But Joe Powell was the guy I had uh, second. I'd, I'd kind of factored out Nick White because uh, I didn't know enough about what the plan was when he was coming back or being available. But, um, look, I think Joe Powell's, at the moment, playing domestically. I think it's him and Tate McDermott for me. Like, they're, they're, they're the two. Joe Powell on his day, I, I think he's taken a long time to warm into that that sniping sort of more assertive role, but when he when he brings that, I think it's a really good uh, feature of his game. And to be honest, um, the the Waratahs haven't really been playing well enough for me to mm. to want to in, to want to include either of their either of their scrum halves. So um, yeah, I, I think it's for me it's still Powell and McDermott one and two, and and I guess Nick White's there on the periphery whenever he's back involved. Fair enough. And Toby, you obviously picked Lalesio as being your number 10 for the Wallabies. Um, seemed to only improve his sort of chances in this. Uh, and especially in the kicking department, which he hasn't been kicking uh, amazingly for goal. Um, but he, he smacked down six out of seven conversions in this game for the Brumbies, which really helps to know that he has that sort of accuracy from the tee. And put in some pretty long kicks for territory as well like out, out boomed the reds kicker 
by a margin. Some too long, but yeah, I I I, I totally agree with that. I think he was good general kicking um, in general play. Obviously, goal kicking well, would had to improve. He was in the fifties, I think, for in terms yep. of percentages for converting and penalties, but. Um, look, I just think he's he's dropping back to fullback when he needs to to make a carry. He's not scared of taking on the line, um, just ever present, and puts himself in good situations to make plays. Um, for a guy that's in his what he's seven games into the season, six or seven games in, very impressive. Um, I think outplaying Will Harrison. I think Will Harrison is difficult for him given the forward pack in front of him, but Lesio, he just. He seems to me a guy that could make the step up to international rugby. Um, it's it's whether what our, I guess it comes down to what our risk appetite is. Um, if he's playing like this with guys that are he's familiar with, I think in the Brumbies backline, I think there's definitely a shot that he could be there. But um, yeah, he's doing his he's definitely doing his um, selection for the Wallabies. No no damage by the way he's playing. I feel bad for Will Harrison because I think well I like I really like Lalesio and hadn't seen anything of him um, previously, even though he was involved in that solid under-20 squad. So Harrison and Lalesio with a 10-12 combination in the mm, final, exactly. I believe. Yeah. Um, like, th- these guys have played together. I think they're probably both very like equally skillful. I think the situation for Lalesio is just an absolute, you know, gold, gold situation that he's got all these quality players around him, established wallabies, good combinations, and um, Paul Will Harrison stuck behind a, a really C or D grade forward pack that just can't get him any front football. And potentially, you know, the cards fall a different way and they sign for the opposite team. Could be having the exact same converse, conversation mm. about Will Harrison. He's shown some real great flashes for the Waratahs, but it's only been when he's had enough space and enough support to to kind of make the play. So, um, look, it's going to be on form come Wallops, uh, Wallaby's time. Um, and it, it definitely doesn't hurt Lalesio building combinations with incumbents and guys we expect to be in the Wallabies. So hopefully they both get their chance, but I think there's definitely a good chance Lalesio's in there as a bolter. And I think this is what it comes down to. The Brumby setup is just perfect for developing talent. Um, and the Waratahs we've seen over the course of the probably the last six, Decades. seven years at least, that they're just... They're not developing and nurturing talent. They're losing some players to New Zealand. They go on to be good players there. They lose players to the Brumbies. Hugh Roach somehow Exception. goes to Crusade. Explain that to me. But anyway, it doesn't really make <laughs> a lot of sense. But um, I feel like they're just geeing us up at this point. They're like, we can take anyone and make them an all-black. Like, seriously. Um, but the Brumbies, Will, like, Will Miller's down yeah. there starting. Will Miller, um, Ray Simone, both coming from the Tars and becoming starters for a Brumbies team, and they just look polished. They look, yeah, they look yeah. like they should... they're doing this consistently down at Brumbies. Yeah, they they take someone that you underrate, undervalue, and they put them in this system. They rise up to the level of some of the better players in that team, and the Waratahs just don't seem to do that. You don't see backs coming in necessarily and raising their game to a full flight KB level. That like. It's like they just, there's no consistency there. They fluctuate too much. So I'm really happy for the guys that have developed well into the Brumbies, but I wonder what is the difference? Is it purely the coaching setup? Is it the way they run their program down there? I don't know. Um, but the Brumbies are just, they're doing something right. Um, and under we probably had a go at McKellar, you know, one or two years ago. He looks like, apart from 
possibly Brad Thorne in terms of bringing young talent through. He seems like the guy that really has his head screwed on and has some good strategies there. It is great to see that Canberra continues to produce sort of these strong teams. There obviously have been questions about the financial side of the ability to draw crowds down there, whether they should be merging with a Melbourne organisation. But obviously it's a team with a lot of history um, and a lot of success in Super Rugby and has it's good to see them back being pretty much the powerhouse behind Australian rugby. I think there's, you know, you go to Canberra, you sign with the Brumbies, you're going to play rugby. Like, that's, there's nothing else. This isn't a shot at Canberra. There's nothing else going on. But it's not, it's not Mate, a city. have you been to Questacon? Australia? I have, and I love it. And you know I have. And you know I have many things in my cupboard from Questacon. Um, but, like, it's, if, if you moved, if you get a, a ticket to move to Sydney, yeah. and, you know, this is this is to join a professional rugby side, and you think, wow, you know, I get to be, in a major city, there's heaps going on, um, you know, beaches, mountains, harbour, social, all, like all this stuff, and, and I get to play rugby there too. Like that's that's great, right? Um, in Canberra, you, you're probably not swayed as much by those factors and you're just really like, well, okay, this is my opportunity to play rugby. Canberra's a good city. It's got a bit going on. It's, you know, it's a bit far from home for a lot of people. You know, it's not a big population. They're not producing as many players so inevitably some of them are going to come from further away and you're going there and you, your focus is your rugby and they obviously have a really good community and they're they're pretty tight that down there from you know from the young guys coming through that development uh circuit i just feel like you know it's probably the same thing that rugby league suffers there's a lot of distractions in sydney and you know if the culture at the waratahs isn't really strong and, and maintained really carefully. And there's just a lot of ways it can come undone, a lot of distraction. So mm. the the Brumbies just must have a really good setup. They know the people that they're signing are coming there to develop and to play rugby, and they can keep them focused on that. And they're just, just getting the most out of it they possibly could, and there's heaps of success from it. They talk about Chiefs mana. There's yeah. Brumbies mana. That's They've what I was just going to bring up. The same with the Chiefs. Other. And the same That's issues they right. talk about with the Auckland Blues in years past, where there being too many distractions, too much stuff going on. Um, potentially, you could say the same with the Rebels being in Melbourne, as opposed to what the Western Force did, being in Perth, a little bit further away from everything else. Maybe there is an ability to concentrate more and have more of that community feeling with the team. I think it's definitely a factor. I, I can't quantify it, because I've never been in that, but it, it just seems to be a lot of teams in, in the big cities that, you know, if, they, if they're not just a really dominant team in, in their moment in the cycle, mm. that it's not sustained. Yeah, It's just kind of like, like sometimes the good players come together and it works and other times it's a, it's a struggle. And the Waratahs, I don't know, there just seems to be a lot of struggles there at the moment and, and maybe, you know, like I said, a lot of, lot of uh, instances where their self-confidence and, and momentum has been chipped away rather than rather than mm. built on with close, hard-fought wins. So we've talked about um, the backs in the Brumbies, and obviously we've talked about Simone and Kurundrani last week, and we talked about Banks being the front-runner for the 15. The Brumbies also seem to be putting out these wingers that are just continuing to impress. You've got Solomonic Carter um, in his first year in Super Rugby. Really impressive some blistering runs. He was running straight at Will Harrison for a lot of this game. Um, really 
giving that guy a, a lot of work to do. But between him, Andy Muirhead doing some great things in um, defense, a bit of a smaller guy, but still making plenty of breaks, making lots of defenders miss. And then you bring on someone like Tom Wright, uh, who looked great earlier in the season and comes on late and snags uh, two tries, the last being an intercept to really put the nail in the coffin of that win. Do yeah, the, again, good good guys in a in a really strong system. Um, like I think Tom Wright's had his had his battles from time to time, um, but yeah, they they're all performing when the team performs and they they do their bit, they contribute and um, that the Carter running at Will Harrison. Well, I mean. They should have seen that coming because who yeah. was running at Isaac Lucas every single take they got in round one. Um, that that was uh, that was definitely a, a ploy there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean it's great again developing guys and and hopefully I don't know it seems like they they plan tactics and and moves that suit the skill set of the person, not the coach saying I want to run this move. You guys have to just make it happen, whether or not it actually. Uh, leverages their skills or or not. Do you see any of those three getting a call up into Wallaby's squads? Um, I think Carter, just based on his power game, possibly, fringe player. Um, the guy I would want to pick would be Tom Wright because he can play centre and he can play on the wing um, and he's a really hard-nosed defender. Mm. Uh, but I Muirhead... I think he's like he's playing really well. I don't know if size is an issue. He's a little bit small on the smaller side for a winger, um, but he again he's he's performing most games and he, he's keeping Tom Wright on the bench at this stage. Which yeah, Muirhead has spent a lot of time coming off the bench in previous years, and now he's getting some solid game time in the fifteen. So yeah, I mean I'd prefer him over someone like you know he was probably at the level of like an Alex Newsom, and now he's far superior to that. Um, would you say he's playing better than Jack Maddox? Possibly. Mm. Um, so I these just... guys are all put in the frame, I yeah. would say, if, if you're looking at wingers. Um, Henry Spade's gone from the Brumbies, and look who steps up. Like, they they don't miss him. Yeah. Um, and if you said that, Henry Spade's been a mainstay there for 10 years. He just goes to the Reds and no problem. Mm. Replace him with a number of guys there. So pretty good stuff. That said, Henry Spade has been playing excellently for the Reds as well, and a lot of people mentioned that in social media, saying that his name should should have been put up there for Wallaby selection again. Um, I do agree with you, Tobes, though, and I think especially someone like Rennie looking at um, players and looking at skill sets to develop, someone like Tom Wright definitely would make you um, think that he's got a couple of different skill sets that you could develop into a really damaging player. Um, probably similarly, similarly to someone like Jack Maddox. He's not just a speedy, quick guy that's going to break tackles. He does have a kicking game. He does have a good defensive game. Um, but it's hard to deny what Muirhead's doing. I mean, you saw him running through, chasing down kicks, tackling uh, two players at a time for the Tars early in the early in that game to really shut them down. And he's just he just keeps on going. He's got a little bit of that. Um, I don't know if it's arrogance, but it's just belief in himself that he can just do whatever he puts his mind to. He's very dogged. Like he, I guess he probably knows he's a bit smaller, and he knows you know he's got his chance there in the starting side. He's got to make every hit count, every run count, and he's just he just brings all the effort and energy, and and that's I think a really great attribute because that just shows that again you 
you're mentally you're strong, you're committed, and you can and you can drive yourself to to you know put in full effort for every you know first and second forty. Um, I I think I don't know why that there's a bit of a dividing line. I think some players like that, it's you know you can almost you can see it or you can smell it that they're um, you know they're putting in everything they've got. They're working at their absolute max in Super Rugby, and and while they're having success. I don't know, someone like Muirhead, I really like him. I like his character. I just don't know how he breaks out and, and stands apart and above a lot of the other guys who are either incumbents or, or new players on the block. Like, yeah. I think Carter has yeah. some obvious differences, which, you know, you've got this raw power and speed and 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 his elusiveness even for a big guy. And you think, all right, well, if we, if we hone his basics and make sure he's really strong over the ruck when he's the support player and make sure his defensive reads are good, he doesn't come up too fast, come in too fast. Like, they think they can teach them those things, but the raw fundamentals um, he's already got. Muirhead, I don't know where he goes from here. I think he's going to be a really solid um, player in the starting side, in a Brumby side, with a lot to contribute. I don't know if that can translate if there's another level he can get to. Um, maybe maybe that example with Muad is just the fact that we've seen him for a while and feel like he has that other level because kind of see where he's at now and that's just it. Tom Ryder, I guess I'm a little bit like that too. I'm not sure how much more how much more there is. Like he's obviously again great raw um, physicality and fundamentals, but how much more will they get out of him? And I think it is hard for coaches to shake. You know, when they've seen, say, Jack Maddox play really well at an international level and, you know, again, mm. physical fundamentals, height, kicking, catching. Um, he's just in an absolute dog corner at the Waratahs where he can't get any good ball, can't really unleash any of his skills, um, always on the back foot. It must be a really hard decision for a coach to say, look, am I going to am I going to give Maddox another opportunity, thinking in the Wallabies set up, I can give him more space, I can, I can give him the opportunities he needs. And assume that it'll come through, or do you give performers who are doing it week in, week out an opportunity to do the same at an international level? Test them out really against the best of the best. Yeah, it's it's always a tough call. Do you, do you think I mean we saw someone like Kurtley Beale, obviously one of the mainstays of the Wallabies for many years, um, pull a hammy in this, probably a significant injury out for multiple weeks. But there's also been rumours of him going overseas after this year as well. Um, he's probably not going to be a player that's going to be in your starting 15 come the next World Cup in 2023. Is that is it someone like him that um, loses his spot so they can give an extra spot to these other young guys to develop now? I think it's a big call because Curly Beal is such a um, strong incumbent. He's been there for so long. But I've also been in the position for a while that I feel like his his best is, you know, maybe a, a support player coming off the bench. And if Penny opts to go with a new combination, fresh faces and really reset, make his own mark on the Wallabies and start fresh on a four-year cycle, I've, I've got no issue with that. The Curtly Beals form does not warrant him getting selected in a 23 for the Wallabies right now. And you can only assume so much will, will come back when he hits the Wallabies. I don't think he was setting the world on fire last year on, in every match. You know, again, there were flashes, but mm. this year I'm seeing very little, and and he just looks a bit lost. And if his mind's already on overseas, if that's true, uh, you know, he maybe he senses it's his time too. It's it's you know four year cycle ahead. That's that's a big commitment. He might decide, you know what, 
I'd rather go back to Europe. I've, I've had my time here. It's time for some, some fresh air again. And he hasn't played in Japan yet, has he? I don't think. He's only played in no, in the UK. UK, yeah. Yeah, so that again, that's, that's a, an option for him. Japan, there's a couple of good mates he knows that play up there or who have Obviously, played up there. Yeah. Um, US, who knows, is the paypacker there? Probably not at this stage. Adam Ashley Cooper, Andrew Mitchell are now playing in MLR. So there is, there's links to that as well. I, I think it could be his last year in, in the Australian jersey. Um, I get the feeling it would be picked if he was fit in the, in the squad, mm. in the broader squad. I don't think, you know, I think he'd be bench if, but that, that would be his best option at the moment. Rennie has no ties to him, no allegiances with Beal. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't need to be necessarily very loyal to, to any yeah. of the players. And I think he'll be looking towards building for that 2023 World Cup already. So you can see why they would try to make the change now and focus on youth and guys that can develop over three or four years. That's where Tom Banks, I think, has such an advantage, um, even over guys like DHP, because they're at the end of their international career. Tom Banks is only just getting started. So mm. um, KB, you never write him off. He's a very talented player. And when fit, I think he's probably in the 23. Um, but you're right. Form early on the season last year, this year, really hasn't done his chances any good. Um, 2018 against... I think when the Tars made that run in 2018, him and Foley were in great form playing off each other at 10 and 12. And that was the last time I've probably seen him really hit his straps. Mm. I even think in this game, I don't know what you guys felt, but when he went off, I actually saw, I don't know whether it was because the other players felt that loss and they felt they had to step up, but we saw a bit more of Maddox stepping in because he was in that fullback role. Even Carmichael mm. seemed like he took a step forward in terms of his taking the ball at first receiver and trying to set some things up, as well as people like James Ram coming off the bench. Um, a few of those guys really seemed to be trying to step up and spark something, and though it didn't really quite work, it gave me that sort of element of, oh, these guys are actually trying again, like there's a little bit of promise here. And it actually made me feel a bit more positive about the way they were playing. I think it's a huge bonus for Maddox in terms of his involvement and injecting himself in the play and getting his hands on the ball more readily. He's going to play at 15. I think he's been waiting for this opportunity for a while. That's his preferred position. Um, and it is a shame that now the season is suspended because it could line up perfectly for Beal to recover and get back into the team once it gets going again. We assume hopefully it will get going again. We just don't know. But um, otherwise, I think, yeah, for Maddox... Look, he did step up his play and his involvement once KB went off, and I think that's probably a sign of things to come if KB's not there. Yeah, I also like seeing the the effort step up. Like I said, it's it's un- unfortunate that when you keep trying to create something and late in the game things aren't going your way, and you just keep you know giving up unfortunate turnovers like like that one to Tom Wright, that that hurts. But I think you're better off continuing to play like that because, you know, you miss all the chances or you miss all the shots you don't take in, in a sense. Like the guys are putting in all 80 minutes. That's a, a good sign that the mental strength is still there and, it's you know, it's devastating to still lose, but we want to see that week to week. It's what gives us hope that the Waratahs will, will find a way and, and be competitive against at least the other Australian teams when they, when they cup up against it. Um, it was good to see Carmichael Hunt put his kicking boot away. I think he's maybe maybe not in the last week or two 
but previously the, he's looked really, um, you know, it's been very, very weak in his kicking game, like just a lot of poor decisions and turning the ball over. So I'm glad when things got tough, it didn't just become a, a chip and grubber through and trying to create things without possession. Like you're much better off trying to create it with possession, I feel, in, in that situation against such a well-honed Brumbies defence. Do you think anyone in that Tars team um, particularly inc- improved their odds in this game? Like we mentioned the people like Dempsey, potentially Swinton, um, whether the people like Carmichael or anyone like that actually improved their chances of gaining uh, Wallaby's sort of consideration in this game? Dempsey. <clears throat> Dempsey stepped up, in my opinion, in the first half, but obviously got the card and then didn't come back on. Um Apart from that, I'm not too sure. I think Hoops. Hoops is, um, again, playing out of his skin, but to no avail. But there wasn't really anyone else apart from maybe Maddox that I was caught my eye. Um, Leo? Yeah, I'd, I'd do the same. Um, Maddox was better, getting a bit more ball, trying things. Um, Carmichael, I just don't I don't feel like he figures into the next four-year cycle. So even if he does lift, he's got he's to gotta be a better option than just taking a, a Tavita or a, you know, we say that inside center spots open, but, you know, does Matt Tamua go there? Like, he's got to be a really dominant player at that 12 position for him to even be considered because he's probably more of a placeholder than he is your next World Cup 12. So if you're a placeholder, you're, you're the best of a bad bunch in a sense until someone else emerges. And I don't feel like he's currently um, emerged beyond a few other people we've already discussed the last couple of pods. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think I think Will Harrison continues to to show his wares, which is really good. I, I like James Ram coming off the bench. I think we saw more of him uh, last week um, in the in the Chiefs game. I watched here in Wollongong. Mm. Um, but I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. He's, he's again, good, good fundamentals, good raw potential, runs hard. He's your, he's your new Jock Campbell, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it's potential there. Campbell. You know he played second and third 15 at Joey's. Couldn't break into the first. Well, so they read them all that smart there, do they? He, he was he was very, very heavy on his being a gymnast early on in his in his um, youth and then moved into rugby pretty late on. Couldn't crack the, the first 15 at Joey's and then worked his way up through club rugby into getting into the Generation Blue program at the Waratahs, so done well yeah well that's probably a mentality they'd almost want um in the waratahs really isn't it that work ethic um you don't want the people that have just been touted and selected from an early age and don't have anything to prove that's right and that that is definitely what i feel like the waratahs have for a long time been guilty of is is picking people on potential or a name or you know not developing but taking players i mean in a sense like collecting maddox from the rebels um, you know that to have a few more guys who've come through tougher, tougher avenues and had to earn their way in and really prove themselves is by no means a, a an issue for me. Absolutely, and I w- did want to do a bit of a shout out for um, Damien Fitzpatrick. Got his first start of the season, and he um, really stood up early in this game. He helped set up. Um, was it the first try? Or the se- I think it was the second try. Um, got a little pop back and forth um, for a couple of offloads and. Um, something I didn't know, actually, he was going to retire at the end of last season and the Waratahs actually asked him to come back 
uh, for this season. And he said he'd come back for one more season. So looks like it'll be the, the last we see of Damien Fitzpatrick. But yeah, I think he really showed that he probably should be the starting hooker out there for the Tars. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that they asked him to hang around and then haven't actually given him the given him the guard. I, I'm still not super impressed with Robbie Abels and just another um, journeyman type type player. But Fitzpatrick at least has the combinations with the existing starters. Um, good to see him back out there. I think he played well. Absolutely. Anything else you guys want to say about this game? Tars making me sad once again. But at least in the first half, we, we, we saw it a tip for tat try try scoring early on. So that's it. You know, we saw we saw a bit of um, play down the sideline. Um, Mark Nwanganituasi is still still pulling some moves. He's he's probably slightly more suppressed now that they've seen a bit more of him. They know what to expect. Um, but you know, there's still there's still signs there. The Waratahs yeah. just need more forward momentum. They just need more cohesion from those guys. Less stupid penalties like charging in on underneath lineout jumpers and trying to disrupt yeah, malls. Like that's great. just a sign of panic that they that they knew exactly what was coming and they just couldn't, you know, manage the the counter well. They did it over and over. So well, forwards get it right, and I think there's lots yeah. of potential in the backs. Yeah, discipline was a massive issue. I mean, it was 60 minutes and the Brumbies had only conceded one penalty, um, and yep. then they conceded a string of five or six. Whether that was partly Rasavenko getting told that he'd only given them one penalty at that stage and had to even up the scores a little bit, um, but loves yeah, to have a chat, doesn't he? Absolutely loves it. <laughs> he does. He does. No, oh. That's fine. <laughs> he always sounds Australian. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he could be just. He could be from outback Australia, and you could see him in an Akubra, yeah. just <laughs> chatting to the dogs and like, get around, get him around. Yep, get him in, get him in. Yep. Um, anyway. <laughs> The other thing that we should mention is Rapid Rugby both started and promptly finished uh, over the weekend, <laughs> potentially. Um, but we had the first round with the uh, um, Fijian uh, Lutui um, getting beaten by the China Lions, um, a bit surprisingly. So 29-22. Uh, the Manuma Samoa going down to South China Tigers, 52-27. to um, uh, shellacking there in the Western Force um, once again 51-14 looking dominant in this competition versus the Malaysia Valky as well so it was as with Super Rugby um, all further fixtures are now postponed for that but Rapid Rugby it's still hanging around it's still out there yeah and a bit of a shame that coronavirus has interrupted what they were hoping was going to be a pretty successful season again only the six teams there but um, yeah, it's a bit difficult for them to negotiate and get any sort of traction in terms of a following when you're one round in and then it's over. So, yeah. Aline, let's hope we get back to normality soon, particularly for Rapid Rugby because they need to build that brand. Yeah, the more rugby, the better, obviously. And, and while not knowing a lot about these teams, I, I was a bit surprised with a couple of the results coming from the Chinese side. So um, it's such a, such a shame that, that these competitions have, have really tried to get their steam up this year at this time and, and are going to get, um, you know, cut cut so soon. Um, mm. But I think Twiggy's heart's in it. And I think, you know, this might just give them a chance to prototype it a bit further and, and hopefully uh, get a few more teams involved and, and certainly figure out how their product rolls out in, in, a, in an environment where travel can become a, a major issue pretty quickly. Yeah, 100%. 
Um, and we also saw the Six Nations um, postpone all their games with a late sort of uh, rescheduling of the Wales-Scotland game as well. So no results there. Um, and I guess that's that's pretty much all we need to say at the moment. Um, it's going to be a bit of a weird couple of weeks at the moment with no um, rugby to speak of. Everything's going to be on hold and we'll have to just wait and see what we get um, in terms of our rugby fix for 2020 for the rest of the year. Any um, any tips from you boys for what sport we can pivot to? I'm, I'm running out of options. I, I really don't want to go back to rugby league. AFL just announced a 17-game season, um, maybe kicking off this weekend, but I think uh, Collingwood skipper, what's his name, Pendlebury? Maybe is tested positive or he's got the symptoms of coronavirus, so they might shut down the VFL, which would probably lead them to, um, I guess, either suspending the AFL season before it starts or just delaying the start. But they're confident 17 games over 40 weeks they can do that. So everyone's changing their, I guess, their competition a little bit, but there's not much at all going on at the moment. Football's gone, ice hockey's gone, basketball's gone. Um, I saw badminton on the other gone. day. Golf's gone. <laughs> F1's yeah, gone. It's not, not much. There is not Definitely much. Definitely going to have to just get on the early, too early preseason fantasy NFL and just hope that that, that season kicks off on time. Look, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to watching retro Bledisloe Cup games or look, something. Look, what I think. I'll go to 2001. If you guys <laughs> want to get into something a bit more sort of extreme and a little bit more high energy. Um, I do think that the American Cornhole Association is is going to continue running at least for the next little while. They've got um, a few tournaments coming up all over America. I think they can practice some social distancing with that, but just look up some of the highlights. It's high-tension stuff. <laughs> Sounds good, Arch. And I might throw a bit of disc golf in there too. Oh, yeah, a yeah. bit of froth. Bring back backyard cricket. <laughs> Self-isolating. Self-isolating backyard. That's it. You can. That's one sport you can definitely play while maintaining a good distance between everyone. Table tennis. Just don't share the ball around the outfield too much. Oh uh, yeah, maybe some san- hand sanitizer on the ball every moment you can get. Um, we'll leave it there today. And look, we'll be back at some point. Um, we'll make sure to spread that on social media when we come back, and you'll see any updates that we get. Uh, up on um, at the Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod. Um, we'll send any extra data we have or um, news on when we might actually get to see a little bit more of this. Hopefully we do have some Australian derbies to talk about in the next couple of weeks, something to sink our teeth into. But until then, guys, stay safe, keep on running, and wash your hands. Run. <laughs>